What up, what up, podcast listeners? It is 12.28 in the morning, and I am speaking really quietly because everybody is asleep. But that's not the point of this introduction. It is just to give you a little bit of context as what we're about to be talking about. I have been interviewed by Scott Westwater, uh, and this interview is to put me out on LinkedIn a little bit more to his network, which I find pretty interesting. I've been exploring and navigating the platform just a little bit more. Um, he decided that my story was interesting to share with uh, people that are in that space, in that LinkedIn space. Um, I don't think that I am particularly that interesting, but that is okay. I am very, very thankful. So shout out to you, Scott, for making this happen. Um, I think it's really cool that you decided to interview me uh, and make this a piece of content that you think is worthy of being consumed by other people. I think that's incredibly flattering. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys gain a little bit of something or learn a little something about me after listening to this. Um, I just go off the cuff and talk about what I know, music related, non-music related, uh, and Scott just throws out these questions to me. I don't even remember what was talked about, but uh, you'll listen to it in this podcast. So thank you for listening. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, everyone? And LinkedIn, uh, Scott, and uh, trying something new right now. I wanted to try to do a few segments where I find people that I find that are really interesting and really engaging. Uh, maybe I know them personally. Maybe that I've actually met them on Facebook or Instagram, and really wanted to introduce them to my network. So, um, so I wanted to introduce Aaron Constante. Did hello, I hello. did I say your name right? Yes, you did. Yes, right, you did. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, so. We've known each other for about, what, eight months now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. Stuff. Like when the first in line group started? Yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, day yeah. one. Day one. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I've really just been uh, really impressed by a lot of the content that you've put out, especially on Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram mostly, but mostly on Instagram. Um, and so I wanted to, like, introduce people to you because you've got a really unique perspective and a really unique approach to content creation. So, um, so with that being said, you know, tell me something interesting about yourself. Um, does it have to be related to the content creation? No, 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 no. Like just something, something interesting that you want to share with the world of LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to start with actually the place that I grew up. Okay. Um, I grew up on the tiny, tiny island of Saipan. It is a U.S. territory out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I grew up there for 16 years. Most everybody here in America that I meet has no clue where it is when I tell them about it. But when I mention Guam, they know where it is. So right. the context is um, a 30-minute plane flight. Okay north of Guam. So that's where I grew up. Um, maybe not that interesting, but it was very, it's very interesting for myself knowing that I've grown up there moving here yep. and seeing the cultural differences of the two places being out here in California and having grown up in an Island where it's a much slower paced, uh, relaxed lifestyle. So. Okay. Is that the biggest difference that you see? It's just way more relaxed and way more chill that, and there's not much of a, functional economy or it's not fun it's not that it's not functional it's just the economy out here is more elaborate 
Okay. Over there, it's very simple, and there are like practically there are only the biggest players are not billionaires. They're maybe you know they're millionaires, but okay. that's what's considered rich to us. And I'm sure that there are plenty out, plenty more millionaires out here, and it's more normal to be a millionaire in California than it is to be one in Saipan. So. Interesting. Well, yeah. and they they just had a, a pretty big natural event happen. Oh yeah, the they there was um there was a storm that hit there that. Uh, is the strongest that has ever hit U.S. soil in 80 years. And the coverage, uh, the news coverage has not been uh, very significant. It hasn't been uh, really um, put out there in the news. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a lot of major news networks covered it, but the estimated recovery time would probably be about at least three years, if not five or more. Wow. Um, because the storm that hit previously, we were not finished recovering, and that was only three years ago. Okay. So the average wind speed was 130 miles in 2015, and the one that hit this year, average of 180 and gusts of 220 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, that's insane. Concrete walls were just collapsing in each yeah. other, and tin roof houses, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I know you've been pretty active with you know, trying to make people aware of what's going on there and also helping with some of the relief efforts. So good on you for yeah. earheading and taking, yeah. helping people out where you can. Yeah. So, I mean, I got to do it, man. It's just, I, it's the, the recovery has been a lot quicker uh, now uh, than it was in the, the first time around. Like we've shipped out so many, uh, like we've shipped out containers over there a lot quicker within the first month uh, that it hit. It's just that right now it's a lot of property damage uh, mm -hmm. in terms of like fatalities. Uh, there was there was only I say only one because in the context of how strong the storm was, yeah. I am surprised that only one person passed. That's incredible. Uh, it's sad, but at the same time, like it could have been more. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's my little tidbit on <laughs> the storm. Yeah. Um, just to be a little bit more aware, like, you know, I never really paid attention to natural disasters. Like, example, if it were in Haiti or in, you know, if it were here in the U.S. itself, people have places to flee to. If the, that was the case on a tiny island like that, you got to hide underneath your bathroom sink and hope that nothing happens to you. Oh. Um, but nothing really you know speaks to you in terms of seeing a natural disaster around the world um unless it literally hits home yeah sure for sure so, nice so, yeah so i mean i i also know you're you're very active in music and so a lot of the content that i've seen you know from you over the past six eight months or whatever it's been has really been um music and music production. So you can talk a little bit about like how you got into it and really what you've been up to on the music side. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to try and go through this real quick. Um, my, my background in music actually started at around um, probably 80, 8, 80, 80? eight years old. <laughs> you look fantastic I, for 80. Yeah. Thank you. I try my best, put on that makeup every day. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but at eight years old, I, my first instrument was a drum set. Um, I, was in elementary whatever band and that was just the first instrument that I picked up and it also really helped because my weakest link apparently was rhythm. I had perfect pitch. I didn't know what that was but uh, I soon learned that I had perfect pitch in around the fifth grade when um, 
my teacher was testing to see if any of her students had it. And I guess I was the only one that did, which is incredible. So I can tell what notes are being played without having to look um, mm -hmm. at what is being played. So that was a huge advantage. And once I knew that I had that, I took it and ran with it and tried to learn the piano by myself. Um, I had a couple of piano lessons before, but I hated them. Um, I keep, I would say that I regret not having piano lessons, but at the same time, I'm getting to a place now. I'm like, I would not have learned well uh, in an environment where I was forced to read classical music. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't regret it. Um, but basically I synthesized what I knew from music theory and being able to hear out chords and melodies and then use that and apply that to playing the piano at around 13. And then a year later, um, my mom got a white MacBook. Uh, it, and then we were in the Philippines at the time and I just started noodling around on GarageBand and trying to tinker around and I was like, um, I thought it was incredible. And in fact, uh, before I wanted to be a conductor of an orchestra or a wind symphony or a choir or whatever, because I figured that would give me the most control mm -hmm. over how the music sounded. But once I discovered to, that you could do that entirely on a laptop, yep. um, I figured that that was a little bit more practical, just a little bit more practical. And so I started making tunes at around 14, uh, really terrible sounding, really tinny and cheap sounding, but whatever, I don't care. I was using dollar earbuds uh, from the store right. to mix and create my music I didn't know any better I just knew that if it sounded like a triad or a chord then I could put it together and then um, and then that I was on my way just trying out different piano sounds and synth pads and whatnot um, little did I know that I was gonna go down this rabbit hole of just finding better sounding instruments and better <laughs> sounding everything yeah um, it's just what happens and like I started posting uh, music and content on YouTube uh, at around, I think, yeah, 2010, I was like posting myself playing videos, I mean, playing piano covers, um, and they were really low quality. I would use the, uh, the FaceTime camera on my 2008 laptop. Right. Um, there's a lot, a lot of, I'm going all over the place, but another thing that stood out to me was that I never had my own laptop until I was in college. So during the time that I was producing music, um, while I was in high school and just trying things out is that I had to use my sister's and my mom's laptop whenever uh, they were not using it. Mm. Um, because I was just like, what the hell else am I going to do? I, I had nothing else that I was doing. So I was just, you know, putting, you know, drums together, putting all the instruments together and then just bouncing it and then sharing it with other people. Um, file management was terrible, but I didn't care because I was like, I'm going to make something else anyway. And right. my mentality was like, if you cannot beat this piece of music that you just made, then uh, this is going to be the end of it. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, I, I kept telling myself like, wow, how am I going to beat this? And then a month later I would end up making something better. Right. Um, and so that's kind of been the path. Uh, I uploaded under this alias named D Guess in 2013 and started making piano covers of artists that were relatively unknown, but then we got connected and I kept in contact with them and uh, I made friends with the artists that I covered. Um, and then I uploaded original content on there as well up until around 2016, 2017, I still did, but I didn't really make that much uh, out of that either. Um, but then I also started collaborating with a friend of mine. She was a singer. And then I produced 
around her voice and that was really where it started kind of ramping up and I learned about all the engineering and audio production and recording and whatnot and from there like now I'm here I didn't explain this in the most detailed crisp way it's really quick but it's crazy how eight years later um, I'm in a place where I know so much more um, about the details and I think the thing that is important to me is that um, it was just constantly improving and it led me, it, it, I was then led into other, um, you know, pieces of content to create, not just music, but now like, you know, podcasting and video creation. And, yep. um, and so it's like, um, I don't know where it takes me, but I know that I have fun doing it. And, you know, I could have the fantasy of always trying to create that number one hit. Um, I don't, care necessarily for that i just want to make sure that it's always getting better and that i create genuine connections along the way while i yep. do it yep. and i pull up other people and help them create music however they want in the process so um that's kind of been my musical journey um there's been a lot a lot that i've learned and a lot that i've left out of this but basically yeah. it's just i think the you know the short form of this is I got lost in creating for about eight years and um, I hope I get lost for another eight because I can only imagine what 30 is going to look like in terms of music production. And it's going to blow my mind thinking that, wow, the stuff that I produced at 22 was just not that great. Yeah. That's what I look forward to. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, you, you said it best. It's the idea of continuous learning. And so you're, you're always experimenting. You're always trying to beat what you did before um, you know, and, and really just trying to push yourself. So, um, I think there's, there's a big lesson to be learned in that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Scott, I'm only 22. Jeez. Like I, I, I literally feel like my story is, uh, I wish uh, it would be so cool to see at 36, what the story is going to be like. And I feel like even at 36, I'll be like, this story still is not complete. And I wish I had more experience to be able to tell other people because yeah. I feel like, you know, I mean, there's so many other people's stories and I'm not downplaying my story. It's just that, you know, I don't feel like I should be in this position to be like, oh, I always want to talk about my story because, you know, it's still, there's still a long way to go yeah. and it's not done. And I haven't done, I haven't accomplished anything. I mean, of course I've done a lot of stuff, but in the grand, grand scheme of things, you, you understand what I'm getting at. I, I do. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is who cares? I mean, it's the fact that you've done the stuff that you've done. You've got knowledge that not everyone has. So while mm -hmm. you may not have accomplished something professionally, you have a domain knowledge that could really treat, uh, teach people, you know, how to do either music or video or really, you know, creating content in a different way. Like we were talking before we started recording, and the fact that you could take a lot of the stuff that you're doing on Instagram and post it on LinkedIn, making it contextually relevant for the platform, you're going to stand out just by the nature of how your content is created. Like the fact that, you know, um, you, you've done videos where you're sampling different sounds and things like that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in mm -hmm. a second. Yeah. Um, but taking kind of that approach, but then making it relevant to your situation um, and telling a story like that's incredibly refreshing and new. And just by nature of that, I think you're going to stand out. 
I hope so. I mean, and the thing is, it's just at the end of the day, my goal on the platform and on any platform is just to connect. Sure. It doesn't matter where it is, you know? So um, if standing out helps me connect with other people, then I'm all for it. Yeah. As long as, as long as I, as long as the people that I meet, like we're genuinely interested in helping each other out. Yeah. um, I'll, I'll go the extra mile to figure out how to make the content contextual to LinkedIn. And so, I mean, it's, it's not a race to the top. It's just like, let's all get there together. Absolutely. And I, and I think in in my experience, LinkedIn is definitely more of that versus I need to succeed. So that means you have to fail. There's a lot more community and a lot more collaboration. And, you know, even in the past couple of weeks, I've been talking to a lot of folks on the phone or through zoom, and everyone's just really interested in hearing each other's story and how can I help you? Hey, have you ever talked to this person? Hey, did you ever think about maybe doing this? And it's just really cool. And it's something that I've not experienced in a very, very long time. Um, hmm. And I think it's, it's just because of the way that the content creators on LinkedIn have started to, you know, craft the community. Right, right. And it's because, you know, when you understand what LinkedIn was intended for, but once it adds more features, then really it is the um, the uh, user base that gets to dictate what the direction of LinkedIn is going. Yep. And I hope to be a part of, because, you know, you, uh, we've talked about this before. I'm not really somebody that's a fan of professionalism. I'm not a huge fan of like decorum or, and I understand that that has its place and that if I need to fall in line, I will do it. I just prefer not to be that way. Right. Um, so uh, I hope that whatever I produce on the platform just ends up shifting that, you know, you know, that dynamic um, on LinkedIn. And I want to see more people do that. Um, I'm not entirely sure how many of the people I've connected with are on the same uh, playing field, because I've seen that a lot of people like um you and maybe a few others I've seen are posting actual video content on LinkedIn. Everybody else is posting text, which is fine. That's okay. Um, but I'm, I find myself um, trying to uh, thinking a little bit too much about the content that I post on LinkedIn, whereas on Facebook and Instagram, I'm just like make, make, make done. This is, this is how I'm delivering it to you. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and I, and I think there's, there's something in that where I think maybe a little bit less overanalyzing and worrying about if people are going to like it or not. And a little bit more experimentation might take you a little further, you know? Yeah. So. And, and to be clear, I'm not actually, I'm not insecure at all about what oh, other people, yeah, yeah oh, what other people think. It's just, I'm thinking like, what is my best way of connecting with other people on the platform? That's sure. just. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So 22 years old, um, still in school, right? Yep. So uh, what, what are you going to school for? Uh, I am going to school for communications. I am a, a student at California State University, Los Angeles. Um, do you have any, do you want me to go in depth about my school experience or where, where do you want me to take this? Well, so uh, I, I, w- I was going to go. Well, and you know, right around this time of year, it's usually finals week. So, how, how, how was your finals week? Um, my finals week is really annoying, Scott. It's not that it's stressful. Uh, it's just like, come on, I have a couple of other things that I need to do. Right. Um, I'm not. In, I, I want to. You know, this is where it should naturally go into the conversation of like, I made a video about this. Right. Um, but I feel like I have to explicitly say that because I feel very sales pitchy if I just say it without the context of, 
um, <laughs> knowing where this is going. But um, finals week has been uh, really annoying because um, obviously I chose this major for for a few reasons, but one of them being that it allows me to maximize the amount of time that I can spend on creating my content and minimize the amount of time I have to spend and dedicate to actual schoolwork. I will spend time connecting and networking with other people in, in the classroom. I just do that because I'm loud and obnoxious like that. Um, <laughs> but in but in the classroom, I don't want to do work, and I still have three things that I need to uh, complete. I have two group projects and I have a final paper that I need to finish. Um, the final paper, I've been commenting on my Facebook, and uh, my professor's Facebook profile saying that, yeah, I haven't finished your uh, paper yet, but it'll get done. And uh, she understands where I'm coming from, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Uh, but the, the constant procrastination of doing assignments uh, inspired me to create a piece of content that I ended up posting on LinkedIn, uh, where I am just, making sounds out of the things you would normally use for doing schoolwork, which were keyboards, notebooks, and pencils, mm -hmm. and creating an instrumental out of it or a beat out of it. And then I just like threw in a little rap on there just to like keep it under a minute and keep it Instagram friendly so I can then share it with other platforms. Yeah. Uh, and after I created that piece of content, I was then motivated to do one of my papers so that way I could say, hey, look, I finished my paper after I made this Instagram video. Right. Uh, I just, I do things for the sake of telling the story. Mm -hmm. You know, just to like, whether that's in the macro or in the micro. The micro was, look, I have finals, everybody else does. We're all gonna hold hands together while we're trying to get through this. Even though, like, all these people are talking about how they're stressed and I'm sitting here like I'm not stressed. I know I'm going to get my C's. I just feel like I have to do the work because in a way that's going to keep my relationship with my professors in the, in good standing. So I'm not going to be remembered as that student that didn't do the work. My motivation for assignments, number one is if I need to get a C, I need to get a C. But actually, it's primarily so that I have, I leave a good impression with my professor. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's finals week. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks I, for listening to me. <laughs> yeah. No, and I thought it was a really interesting um, approach. And mm -hmm. I love how you're able to take like the scratching on the notebook or like the clacking of the keys and actually make a beat out of it. And the first mm -hmm. time I saw it, I had my sound off. And so I just oh. saw your little, um, the subtitles, um, you know, at the very beginning, I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And then, <laughs> then I actually saw the repetition and I'm like, all right, now I got to listen to it. So I turned on the volume and I'm like, oh, yeah. holy crap, this is great. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, so no, it, it was really well done. It was, uh, you know, my fault cause I never really listened to, or I don't have my volume out on my phone, um, gotcha. specifically in case it's like, you know. Gary V yelling or whatever. Like I just, mm -hmm. if it's something I want to go through and listen to, then I'll take that action. But um, yeah. yeah, so like I said, it was a really well done video and I'm, uh, I'm glad that you created it because I, I think it actually shows A, your personality, B, your ability to storytell, but in a really interesting and unique way, which I think will be ownable for you. Yeah, and I'm trying to, you know, I don't know if you ever caught my video. I don't know if you knew me back then, but I made a video about where I created um, an a beat out of kitchen items. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the first yeah. things that I saw of yours. Yeah, yeah. One of the so, very first. Right, so that was where I'm like, oh,
okay, I can do it in different contexts and the different times. And like, it was very time sensitive, this kind yeah. of piece of content. Um, so I'm trying to think of like other things and other ideas. And honestly, like this, that video took me about an hour to piece together video editing, beat making, uh, audio editing. Yep. So it doesn't take me a long time to do it. I just know how to do it and flesh it out. You know? Sure. So, sure. And that comes with experience and just putting things together. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we've touched on this a little bit. So, you know, as someone who's a little bit younger and is definitely more active on say Instagram or Facebook, um, you know, what are your impressions of LinkedIn? Like what are, what are some of the things that are missing? What are the things that you wish would be more done here? Like just talk about a little bit about that. So my impressions, uh, first of all, because I've been so used to going on Facebook and Instagram, um, it's like, you know, you, you have your go-to channels and you like on TV and you just keep watching them. You know, similarly, like Facebook and Instagram, um, are just, you know, it's almost muscle memory how I, how my fingers just go and tap on that icon and LinkedIn, I'm forcing myself to go on it. Not because I not because I'm like, oh, I don't want to go on LinkedIn today, but I'm just not used to it. So I have to force myself to go on it. Um, I find it interesting, the mentalities of people that are on the platform and reading the content, because it is very different from Facebook and Instagram. I totally disagree with people that say that LinkedIn is 100% better than Facebook. Um, I, I don't agree with that. I don't want to wear my suit and tie all the time. Just like sometimes let me wear casual clothes, you know? Right. Um, but I do like, if, if I feel like I want to engage and get into the minds of people that are, you know, more active in getting involved in business or in the professional world, mm -hmm. um, that is one of the, those are, that is probably my go-to, um, platform to at least remind myself of like, Hey, you know, you are at an age where you should consider, um, you know, taking things a little bit more seriously. Um, because on Facebook and Instagram, it's, it's a ton of memes, <laughs> sure. you know, uh, it's a ton of fun stuff. And also um, on Instagram, a little bit more vanity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and that's okay. You know, if you, you know, just know that you're being vain and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but with LinkedIn, I do like the platform. I like the platform a lot. Um, but I'm trying to figure out how to put it in my uh, content consumption diet. Mm -hmm. So recently what, like before you just called, I actually put LinkedIn as a pinned tab on, on Safari. So that way I just will naturally go to it. And I don't, the only other pinned tabs that I have are like for a uh, school and YouTube. Um, I removed Facebook from there because I will just inevitably go on Facebook. So I don't even need it to be a pinned tab. Sure. Um, I don't, uh, Facebook's messaging, um, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Feature is very convenient, much mm -hmm. more so than LinkedIn's. Um, but aside from that, um, I feel more comfortable and it's more appropriate to do many, many blog posts mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Yep. Uh, and starting a conversation is more appropriate for me on LinkedIn than on Facebook. I feel like, um, for, you know, business related stuff. Yeah. Um, so first impressions, very positive. Uh, I just have to spend more time and get more people involved because the reason I'm on Facebook a lot is because a lot of the people that I know are on the platform. Sure. So I have to now get to know people on the LinkedIn platform mm -hmm. to motivate me to use it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, um, you know, college kids, especially like juniors and seniors 
using LinkedIn as a way to kind of get ahead of that inevitable job search that happens when you're a senior. Um, you know, I, I know I went through it when I was about three months out from graduation. My dad sat me down. He's like, okay, so you're graduating in three months. <laughs> and, and so I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And so like, you know, unfortunately, something like this didn't exist for me when I was getting out of school. But I think, you know, for people like you, it's a great way to start to build that personal brand and a little bit more professional context. I think it's a way to show off your personality, um, be able to provide valuable content, and really kind of get ahead of that job search. So when it is time for you to go and look for a full-time job and whatever you decide to do, you know, you already have kind of a network in place that you can start to reach out to. You can also, you know, reach out to other people and, you know, share some of your content or whatever and, and really help you be prepared for that. So I think for someone your age, it's a great opportunity to start, you know, building that content creation, um, personal brand in a bigger, in a more business focused context. Because I mean, I, I just found out today, I, I joined in 2007. And I basically wasn't active until last year. And so like up until yeah. then, it was literally, well, here's my resume. Here's what I did here, here, and here. And that was the extent of it. And if I got a notification that someone connected with me, you know, I go in and accept. But literally for the first 10 years that I had LinkedIn, that's really all I was doing. So, and that, that's not to say that that's a unique story because everyone was pretty much using it in that context up until about 18 to 24 months ago. There's some folks that really started putting out content. A couple people have been doing it for a little bit longer, but generally speaking, um, a lot of people that have kind of over the past two years have turned it into more of a content creation platform um, and a community. So it's really, you know, kind of evolved and grown over the past couple of years. I think um, when was it 18 to 24 months ago was the Microsoft takeover? Was that mm -hmm. the reason? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the way that it should go. How long has a video uh, feature been around? Not very long. Right. And less that, than a year, maybe basically that handicaps, you know, the, um, the, uh, incentives sure. for being able to use a platform. And now one of the things that I do is that I don't care, um, to drive traffic to a YouTube channel or to a Facebook page or to my Instagram profile. I make it available on every platform and wherever you live, consume it there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, it's, it's easier, right? Yeah. So I try to, you know, as Gary talks about, it's the least amount of friction for your audience. Yep. Now I'm thinking like, what are people's is I like, what are people going through when they're consuming video content on LinkedIn? Um, and it's still weird because I know that a lot of the people that I'm connected with are in the mindset of, um, business, business, business. Yep. Um, but I have a few people that are connected who are on there for music too. And you know, if I post anything music related, then they may be the community that I have to start building around. Sure. And I have to reach out to them and say, and encourage them. You should probably start posting some of your music content on LinkedIn as well. Cause there are not many of us that do that. No, not at all. And so, I mean, it's just by nature of how few people are doing it, you're going to stand out. Yeah. Um, and I think you're also going to find people that are interested in music, not necessarily in the industry, but like, you know, like people like myself who love music and I love like kind of the, the creation of music and the behind the scenes type of stuff. Like I would totally watch stuff like that, even if it wasn't directly related to what I do for a living, just because it's interesting to me. Right. Right. And yeah. hopefully like th that's the thing. It's just like, while it's still early and because I'm questioning of like, the thing is, 
I'm realizing that if I question if it's appropriate for the platform, but also at the same time, I know that the platform has to evolve, then that kind of, that, you know, that um, dissonance, I don't want to say it's cognitive, but right. you know, the battling ideas there kind of tell me that I should do it because there's a likely, there is a likely chance that the platform will evolve where people accommodate for that kind of content. Oh, and if I'm early, it is okay to be early, but then if I get the timing right and then 18 to 24 months from now, people are into that, that are on the platform. I don't know how early it is. It could be 36, 48, it could be five years. I don't know. Right. And, yeah. and ultimately, you know, it happens when it happens. And if you're putting out good content, you know, eventually things will catch up with you. So, right, right. So have you met anyone interesting on uh, LinkedIn so far? Um, I did just come from a meeting with uh, somebody that I met because you tagged me <laughs> in one of the comments. Um, his name is Derek. Yeah. Uh, Derek is incredibly interesting. Uh, we talked about his uh, background and history, of, but now he is, because right now he um, is working, uh, he runs a digital marketing agency mm -hmm. um, called Full Moon. Uh, and he, he has about, he has a healthy number of clients. Um, and he's been doing this. He's, he said that he's been doing this even on the side ever since he graduated college. So oh, wow. it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was talking, I think it's cool cause I see a pattern of people that start their businesses of how, um, they worked corporate and it's such a, it's this story that just keeps coming up and up and up again of people working corporate and quitting because it doesn't satisfy them. You were one of them. You know? <laughs> so it's, um, it's crazy to me to see that people, you know, in their thirties and forties are yep. doing that now. Yep. And you know, people my age in our twenties are rushing to figure out how can we become stable? And it's so backwards. Yep. It is incredibly backwards. And he just reinforced this narrative of, trying to figure things out. Um, it's, it's an ongoing process and nobody, re nobody really knows if what they're doing now is going to be what they want to do for the rest of their lives. I don't, I'm, I've, I've been honest saying that I don't know for sure if music's what I'm going to be doing at 35 or 75. Right. It could be, it may not be, but during the time that it, that it is the thing that I want to do, it'll be a really cool piece of my history and story. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Derek was uh, a really cool person that I met through LinkedIn. Um, aside from that, I don't want to offend anybody if I've met them on LinkedIn and I don't shout them out. I've connected with people on LinkedIn, but I've not really messaged them or connected with them, you know, at that yeah. level. Yeah. Uh, but he's the only person that I've met so far in person. Nice. Uh, I would say that's a pretty good track record for having been active on the platform, semi-active for about four yeah. months. Yeah. I was going to say that's uh, that's pretty good uh, return. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Four months, one person. That's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So if you could choose any profession in the world, what would you like to do with the rest of your life? Man, it's gonna be a, this is gonna be such like a, a cop out answer. I would say content creator. <laughs> okay. Yeah. More yeah. specifically, what kind of content? Right. See, uh, I say record producer. I say music producer. 
Yeah. But I say that very hesitantly because I think the margin of how much I want to be that it's very, the, it's such a small gap, like, because only by this much, I'm very uncertain with that answer, but that is the answer I'm going to go with. Okay. That is your final answer. That is my final answer. All right, cool. Um, So tell me something that is true that nobody agrees with you on. Doritos are, oh, well, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say Doritos are the best chips on the planet. And I would, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. 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 So, so never mind. Yeah. That no one agrees with me on. Hmm. Crazy. Oh, I can't think of something. Well, I'm surely not- there's something that you, you believe is true that you talk to your friends and they're just like, dude, you're full of shit. Like, come on. There's, there's got to be something like that that happens, right? Right. However, if I say this, what I'm about to say now that you said that, it would be true between us. The thing I was going to say is that um, it's going to be LinkedIn related. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of meta. Yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about how, um, well, but a lot of people agree. I can't think of something, Scott. I, I really, mm, no, no, I'm stumped. Okay. I'm, I'm stumped. I can't, I can't do this. Okay. I can't do this. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. I can't I work can't under these this. conditions. <laughs> but Doritos are the best chips on the planet. I would have to agree with that. Yeah. All right. Um, so what's something interesting that you've either seen or read recently? Seen or read recently? Yeah. Um, cool. I will talk about the article that I read a few months ago, um, just because the semester's ended and this was particularly something I thought was really interesting from my professor. I thought that um, this study done with a tissue box, I, did I send this to you before? I sent you, yeah, yeah. Um, of a talking tissue box was a really interesting article. So a rundown of what this is. Basically, um, humans were, humans, people were tested um, to see how they reacted to when a person standing in a restroom said, bless you, after somebody sneezed, after an actor sneezed, versus when a robot said, bless you, after the actor sneezed, versus how... um, the how the person sneezed when the tissue box said bless you um very interesting results uh showed that people perceived the um the human uh the human likeness the intelligence and the uh sociability of the tissue box to be equal to that of the robot and human um and because we're since uh, one of the themes that's going on uh, for pragmatic, obviously is um, going into a voice first world. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those findings from five years ago um, are pretty, you know, they're pretty important in uh, letting us know of how people will react to voice first pieces of technology. For sure. Where, where if people think that a tissue box has the same, uh, the same level of social intelligence that a human does like within, you know, obviously we know it's not right. But you know, upon first impression, um, what is that going to tell us when we're actually talking to our devices? We yep. will treat them like human beings. 
True. You know, so um, I just thought that that was interesting. Um, just a nice little article or piece to add to the whole voice first world that yeah, we're sure. about to enter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because you, you see a lot of, or at least not a lot, but some discussion about uh, children and how they interact with Alexa or Google Home uh, to the point where, you know, it's, it's more directive. Um, and so people have requested, you know, like child mode where you, you require politeness because what some parents found was their children were less polite because they were directly, <laughs> just directly talking to Alexa without actually, you know, saying please or thank you or, you know, may I have or whatever. Um, so that, that was kind of an interesting, like, you know, bit of social experiment, really. Um, it's an unintended cool. side yeah. effect of, you know, having these devices, but really by design, you're supposed to just tell it what you want and it'll give you the information and you go on with your day. But nice. when you're trying to work with a little kid, you don't necessarily want them to be so direct. You want them to understand social cues and, you know, manners and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a really interesting um, thought that this is actually created. Right, right. I do want to mention, and I do like, I like that because I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, I think it's, I think, you know, it's just a little thing to reinforce the kids to have matters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing um, that was very applicable to this in terms of what I learned in the classroom, believe it or not, it's not that I learned it. It's just that I learned what the term is or what the theory is, it is called the media equation theory. And this is a theory that basically explains the uh, underlyings of why humans uh, treat devices or technology in such a human way, mm -hmm. you know, as if they were people. Mm -hmm. Like we, we express anger towards technology when uh, it gets slow. You know, we're, we blame them as if, you know, there's somebody else that's being slow. Yep. I don't feel guilty because it's an inanimate object. Right, right. So. But to that mm -hmm. end, you know, they're building in safeguards so that you can't abuse these devices. So if you start getting nasty with either Alexa or Google Home or some, you know, some of the other chatbots, it'll actually come back at you and try to correct your behavior, which is an interesting outcropping of that. Because people uh, have, okay. because it is an inanimate object, people have, you know, mm -hmm been horrible we'll just leave it at that um mm -hmm. so there there have to have been like an evolution of it um you know so that it, it, it just shows that it's not an acceptable way to talk to the device specifically so um okay. yeah I, i've actually seen a couple i've seen a talk and then i've seen a couple of case studies um where they've actually the developers of a skill or an app have actually had to build in protections because of well, let's put it this way. Do you remember the, uh, the case study of the Microsoft chatbot that was on Twitter? I, don't, I may remember if you bring okay. it up, but I don't. So um, it was actually the persona of a 13-year-old girl. And oh, I yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Tay was the name. And um, it was unsupervised learning. And so basically people were able to tweet to it and it would respond. And it literally became the most vile human on the face of the planet within three hours because right, of right. horrible things that people were tweeting to it. Um, so that, you know, is, 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 it's a horrible, but kind of funny case study and how you can break AI. And obviously people were messing with it um, to see what would happen, but it does show, you know, what people can do 
um, if you don't put safeguards and protections in place and uh, just let people or let the AI system learn without any sort of oversight. The, yeah, I think what'll be interesting is if AI can then end up at picking up the intent of the person eventually. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, um, the Tay was learning all these things without understanding what the intent of all these nasty tweets were, which is right. just to break the system. Right, right. You know, well, she could have been the most, yeah. Hopefully it was to break the system. Hopefully yeah. people weren't being serious. I mean, if, if, come on. But, like, let's assume that they were, because I'm pretty sure they were trying to break the system. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they knew, if Tay knew that that was the intent, I'm pretty sure she would have been incredibly sarcastic and right. firing back comments, you know? Right, so, right. Yeah, so. Nice. Well, I think uh, we, we've covered a lot of ground here today. So thank you All so right. much cool, for cool. taking the time. And LinkedIn mm -hmm. fam, like I said, he is definitely someone you need to connect with and know. I'll go through and uh, put a link to his profile in the comments and uh, start posting content. I, I really want to see a lot more uh, of your content on LinkedIn. Thank you for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. All right, All right, All right. cool. See you, man. See you. Bye.